everyone. Welcome to episode 37 or 37 and a half. It might be episode 38. We were just talking about this uh, of the 2QB experience uh, brought to you by 2QBs.com. Uh, you can find us at 2QBs on Twitter and that's spelled out T-W-O-Q-B-S. Before I even introduce myself or our other host, uh, I want to urge you to rate and review the podcast if you please would. Uh, I figure if you have enough time to listen to a football podcast in the month of March, you probably have enough time to rate and review the podcast. So help us out. Come on, man. Um, anyway, my name is Greg Smith. I'm one of your hosts. I'm at Greg Sauce on Twitter. Your other host is a gentleman by the name of Joshua Lake at Lake2QBs. Again, that's T-W-O-Q-B-S in the spelling department. Josh, it's March, but, you know, that doesn't stop us. We're still going to talk about football, right? Yeah, man, what an intro. You're in mid-season form already. That was beautiful. Spelling, humor, you had it all. Yeah, the coffee helps, you, you know, keeps you sharp. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's kind of a weird time for fantasy, isn't it? We have some news and notes to get to. You know, free agency has happened at this point. The combine's over. We're looking forward to the draft. But I don't know, what's what's been on your, your brain a little bit lately? Yeah, it's a, it is a weird time. I feel like... My focus has really been on Dynasty lately because there's always a lot of moving pieces at this point in the offseason, making trades, clearing roster space, and I'm in a, a startup right now. So Dynasty is kind of my big focus. I don't know that I, I really was slow to put together redraft rankings and did that at the last minute right before we started publishing them on the site this week. So I'm kind of freshly coming to that focus. Okay, well, I mean, what's uh, what's been going on in your dynasty circles? Is your uh, startup a, a super flex or two QB, or are you slumming it in a one QB league? Wouldn't do it. I wouldn't even join. <laughs> <laughs> um, grandfathering in a league is one thing. Joining a new one is totally different. No, it's uh, I'm in a one of Ryan McDowell's kitchen sink leagues. This is a new one he started up, Kitchen Cinco, and it's an auction. So it's been a lot of fun back and forth it's a slow auction so you've got to be the high bidder for a 24-hour period in order to win someone and so on a number of occasions i've come down to just just today i was the lead bidder on tyler eifert for 23 and a half hours and in the last last 20 minutes of the bidding i had him stolen out from under me so it's been a lot of fun so do people do that just to troll you or do they need the full day to actually (laughs) decide whether or not they want to bid on the player um, for me, I do it intentionally because I think it's strategic because the way the bidding works here is on a proxy system. So you bid the max you would bid and it only shows $1 more than the highest next person. Oh, so everyone else doesn't know how high the highest bidder would go, but the highest bidder is committed for that maximum bid amount. And so to me, if you leave someone else as the high bidder for 23 hours, their money is tied up and can't go towards other auctions. And so you keep them tied up for longer, leaving you free to do what you want on the other players that are up for bid. How many are up for bid at a, at a given time? Um, 12 are nominated every day. And so right now we probably have 18 or 20, I would guess. Oh my, that's a lot to keep track of. Yeah, it's a lot of moving pieces, and I should have known if Ryan made the lead. <laughs> right, there's a lot there. It's it's a complex sort of a thing, but yeah, there, to me, that's part of the strategy is if you can keep other owners committing money, and it changes what they're able to do. Am I correct in assuming that because you had Eifert at 23, that you you nominated him for that value? Is that how that works? No, um, I actually didn't nominate him. 
you just periodically are bidding. So I had not nominated him, but I became the high bidder over a while. So these players are usually on the board for several days at a time. You just have to have 24 consecutive hours as the highest bidder. Interesting. Okay. And so people could jump in at any point with a higher bid, potentially, and they could say only $1 more or, you know, $10 more. Can you edit your bids as you go? Like if you, if, you know, let's say you had Eifert at 23, could you then say, oh, okay, I actually want, I'd actually pay more for him? Or, or would you have to wait for somebody to outbid you before you can go back and change your bid? The former. So you can kind of protect your investments as a way of making sure that 24 hour clock is unlikely to reset. And so you won't get dinged for the full amount. You'll only get dinged for $1 more than the previous high bid, correct? In terms of actual cost, but the money is tied up for your max bid. Interesting. Man, that sounds really cool and like way too much work. But um, <laughs> What else are you going to do in March for fantasy yeah. football? Well, I mean, one thing you could do is MFL 10s. I know that you're big into those as well, so I'm not sure how you find the time to split between everything, but... I've, I finally started joining a couple. Uh, I'm nice. not as much of an MFL 10 you know, junkie as a lot of other folks, although I do anticipate doing more this year than I've ever done before just because I love drafting, and you know, this is the one way to have a, a legitimate draft in March or April or May. It's not directly related to two-quarterback or super flex, but it does give us kind of that real-life drafting context and some positional ADP we can use for whatever format we do prefer, um, You know, whether that's 2QB or something else, but... Um, how are your MFL 10s going? Yeah, and I think they're going well. I, I think there are some similarities to two quarterback leagues, not ADP, but the, the main similarity for me is the need to know the later quarterbacks because you're drafting, a league is typically going to draft 30 or more of the quarterbacks. So it is interesting that you're having to think through some of the bad quarterbacks like you would in a two quarterback league, but they're a lot of fun. I'm kind of in a lull right now. I did a bunch early and now I'm kind of slowing down, waiting for the NFL draft to happen. And then I'll, I'll pick back up again. Um, but what's your, what's your take, Ben? If you just started, how are you feeling about the way ADP is shaking out, the way the drafts are going? Any first impressions? The, the ADP doesn't feel quite right to me yet. And, and that might just be because my, you know, biases from last season are still weighing a little too heavily. Like, I've been following free agency. I've been following what's going on, you know, in the NFL, but not probably quite as much as, you know, the other people who are heavy into the MFL 10 scene. And so, like, I'm seeing some players slide or some players drafted pretty early that, you know, I didn't quite expect to, to go in that range. Um, like, I think, like, one example that I was looking at today is I think that people are overrating the the signings that the Buccaneers have made with regards to Jameis Winston, at quarterback, like I don't necessarily know if I'm ready to take him over some of the guys who's going ahead of an ADP. Um, so stuff like that throws me off a little bit, but if anything, that feels good, right? It feels like if I have a strong impression one way or another, then I may be able to mine some value out of this stuff that doesn't, you know, jive quite well with, you know, my own sensibilities. Yeah. It's, it's been a trip. Like the, the one thing that I have the hardest time grasping is the roster construction angle. And I guess the kind of the game theory about when to dive in on certain positions, like looking at the depth of certain positions, specifically quarterback and tight end, I really don't see any incentive to take them at all early. Like I think I waited until the 10th round of my first MFL 10 to take either. And I took a tight end there and then I took a quarterback in the next round, but I'm just hammering wide receivers and running backs early, and, and I'm assuming that that is correct. I mean, it feels correct to me as I look at the rankings, but how do you deal with that sort of stuff? The like, How often are you 
going in early on on quarterbacks or tight ends relative to the other positions? I think in general you're right. This the studies of what has been successful in past years. It just as a caveat, you can make the argument that past results don't guarantee future results, but in the past, that's been generally true. You want to hammer running backs and wide receivers early. I'm more open to taking an early tight end than I am an early quarterback because I do think there's a much sharper kind of teardrop at tight end. There's a smaller top tier is a better way of putting it. Where, like we say all the time, you can get 25 quarterbacks that you trust pretty pretty. What's the right the right word there? But you trust a lot of quarterbacks, whereas the tight ends, you're really uncertain after the top 10 or so. Yeah, I've been really digging uh, Josh Hornsby's app on the site, the, the MFL 10 app that he put together. That's at uh, Fantasy ADHD on Twitter. That thing is awesome. There's so much stuff you can do with that. The, the pick predictor that he just came out with is insane. Like I've been using that literally every round since, since he put it live on the site. So um, if you are doing MFL 10s, listeners, you, sh- you got to check this thing out, Like, if only just to, to mess around with it, because the stuff you can find on there is really interesting. And you want to tell listeners how they can find it? Yeah, so if you go to... Well, you're going to make me do all the work on this? I shit. am. Um, what else? So <laughs> you should know two- how this goes. <laughs> <laughs> you, go, you go to 2 qbscom uh, Up in the top menu across you know, the, the top of the site, on the right-hand side, there's a link to the MFL 10 app. Uh, just click on that. And he's got, you know, multiple different tools within that. There's uh, just general ADP for every position, and you can filter it for, you know, taking certain positions out. Uh, You can look at the typical roster constructions that other people are putting together. There's the probability app that I was talking about where you can say, okay, what are the odds that players X, Y, and Z are going to be available to me at my next pick? Or what are the odds that one of these four players or six players will make it? What are the odds that two of these six players will make it back to me? It's super powerful, super cool. Uh, but probably the the my favorite part is just the, the ADP distributions, the first tab in his app where you can see an actual graph of, you know, weighted positions that players are drafted in, uh, including their actual ADP, you know, called out by, by a value and a line. Uh, but you get to see you know, that chart for one player compared to the same chart for a different player, or I think it's up to four. So you can really look at, you know, what the range of draft outcome is for a variety of players, and you can compare them, which is super cool. Yeah, that the distribution tab is incredible for some for several purposes. I like the comparisons to kind of see how players are stacking up versus each other in ADP. And then I used to use it for kind of like a, a quick visual idea of draft probability before he had this this new tool. But I agree, <laughs> this is this is really fun to be able to just type in and say mathematically, what are the odds I can get this player with my next pick? Yeah, and the one advantage that I found about it, you know, kind of above all else, is just the fact that it's using actual ADP from MFL tens as opposed to uh, you know the ADP you see when you're in the MFL ten. You know, uh, draft room, you know, because those that ADP they have on their site on the My Fantasy League site is influenced by all drafts. So it's going to have rookies a little bit higher, actually a lot higher than they normally would be Uh, younger players in general higher because most of the drafts going on right now are dynasty drafts. And therefore, you know, what you see on My Fantasy League when you're drafting an MFL 10 is not necessarily indicative of the ADP in MFL 10s, which is kind of silly when you think about it you think they'd figure that out um at the site but i I mean if anything it just gives us more value to mine out of hornsby's app it's it's awesome for us 
no for sure that's that's a great point that don't don't rely on what the ADP is is stated to be when you're drafting an MFL 10. It's all it's odd. Last year it was very off because it it pulled in a lot of dynasty ADP, so you had really weird young rookie just kind of a strange order. This year I'm not really sure what the order is based on. Like it's roughly MFL 10 ADP, but there's some weird ones in there. I think the same thing is happening, just not quite as much yet because the draft hasn't happened. We're still seeing like it influenced by maybe dynasty startup drafts. I think last year they even included like rookie draft ADP somehow. So the 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 actual rookies were super high up in the the my fantasy league ADP rankings. Whereas this right now that's not quite the case, but they are higher than I would expect them to be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Anyway. I'm kind of getting down to more specifics. Are, are, are there any like individual players that you think are you know severely overrated or severely underrated in MFL 10 so far in your experience? I don't know that I've pulled out a lot of names, but I think your Jameis Winston point was dead on. He's according to Hornsby's app, he's QB 11 right now, um, going ahead of Roethlisberger, Cousins, Stafford, guys that every year of Winston's career have been better than Winston, and so. It's interesting that we are assuming such great things for Winston and conversely assuming the worst for Blake Bortles. Like they're very interesting studies to me where Bortles has been a good fantasy quarterback two years in a row. Winston's been a middle of the road fantasy quarterback two years in a row, but they are, I think, 10 spots apart in terms of quarterback ADP. Like it's kind of, it really is interesting to me thinking how much we are imputing to to these players that we haven't seen on the field yet. Yeah, I mean, it really speaks to just the quarterback position in general. And, you know, you and I talk about this all the time, but there are just so many guys in that tier after the top six to eight guys that are worth drafting that, like, there's no point in taking Winston at QB 11 when, like you say, Bortles is available that much later. I mean, even Carson Palmer, who, you know, is aging and, you know, not that great. He's going even later than Bortles. Uh, Tony Romo's going down there, although we, we're pretty sure he's going to end up as a starter somewhere. Like, you, you can wait at the position, especially in the MFL 10 format. I um, The quarterbacks aren't super interesting to me for that reason. You know, I don't think that there's a whole lot of incentive to prioritize any of them over the others, knowing what we know right now. You kind of just, I, I think a shotgun approach is, is better. Just wait a long time, grab three of them, hope that, you know, the buys don't line up and, and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, with three, I'm not so worried about the buy situation because the odd, I would be interested in the mathematical odds, but the odds that all three have the same buy is is crazy. And I think there's such a floor at the position that as long as you have starters, you're fine. Like one, even if two buys overlap, that third guy will get you at least what 10, 12 points in an MFL ten. No, no, you're right. I I was tripping over my words, talking too fast. I meant to say or make sure ah, the buys don't line up. So that okay. yeah, that was my mistake. I was getting a little ahead of myself. The coffee <laughs> has downsides as well, Josh. There you go. I'm with you though. I I I am very much of the opinion I take almost all my quarterbacks in rounds ten to twelve. Um, my I've written about it over at Rotoviz. Just that if although quarterbacks don't swing MFL 10s nearly the same way like a David Johnson did last year or Le'Veon Bell has done in the past uh, quarterbacks the one stat that correlates well with win percentage is the number of top 12 weeks they have 
And I feel like there's not much upside in terms of top 12 weekly upside once you get kind of past the 12th round in an MFL 10. You're looking at some bad players that maybe have upside, but they're not going to be in that top tier most weeks. Yeah, that's fair. Um, can I pick your brain on a couple players specifically? Uh, we, we mentioned, you know, we we're talking about quarterbacks, so I might as well throw this out here. Cam Newton is set to have shoulder surgery. Uh, has that concerned you at all? Are you worried about him for the start of the 2017 season at all? I'm not at this point, but honestly, it's such brand new news. I mean, it kind of came out of nowhere that I don't think we've really had great reporting and and medical analysis on what it means. It looks like he will be back in time to play. So as of right now, I'm not terribly concerned, but I'm certainly keeping an eye on it and wanting to read a little more about exactly what he's having done. Yeah, I'm kind of hoping this drives the price down even further. I was already kind of in on him as a guy who is set to, you know, kind of regress back to better numbers. Um, I've written about it on the site recently. Uh, this scares me a little bit, but at the same time, like it's early enough in the offseason that I'm not going to let it, you know, impact my thoughts on him too much. My main concern is that maybe he'll be a little rusty in the first couple games. Um, and if that happens, then you might even have, you know, a buy low opportunity in season. But, you know, we're, we're way too far removed from <laughs> thinking about that sort of stuff at this point. I do like where he's going in MFL 10s, though, re- relative to, you know, where he was going last year, right? Last year he was going in the first, what, five or six rounds, and now you can have him a few rounds later. Yeah, I mean, he was the QB1 last year, and by the time we hit the end of summer in August, I think his ADP had climbed up around the... I want to say it was near the second round, but at least the third round, kind of roughly where Aaron Rodgers is going to get to this year, whereas now Cam is QB6 off the board. He's going kind of end of the seventh round. So it's it's definitely a, a decreased price. I mean, that kind of segues pretty well into what was meant to be our main topic here, and that's recency bias. Uh, but before we get there, I had one other player note that I wanted to run by you. Um, Kamar Aiken signed with the Colts. He's your boy. You love Kamar Aiken. <laughs> is is he now a post-middling hype sleeper? Uh, I think it might be past tense loved Aiken. He broke my heart, <laughs> the achy breaky heart, if you will. That's bad pun. Um, I don't know that I'm going to do it this year. Like the, the Colts are a great offense. There's a lot of volume, but he's competing for a wide receiver three role on that team. And then they, they also like the tight end position. So I'm not sure there's as much reason. I mean, opportunity in Baltimore was one of the reasons I liked him last year and it didn't pan out, but that was kind of the idea here. I'm not sure there's opportunity. And I also, am not convinced he's any sort of special talent. Yeah, I'm not convinced of the talent either, but I am convinced that I actually think the opportunity is probably better in this situation. Uh, They did lose Dwayne Allen. He's gone. So, you know, one of the tight ends that Luck was throwing to a lot isn't there anymore. Uh, And he's competing for a wide receiver three role of Philip Dorsett. And man, if there hasn't been a more disappointing, you know, early career player than Philip Dorsett in the past two years, I don't know who it is because, God, that guy had multiple opportunities to kind of show up and be the guy to kind of step in when Moncrief was hurt, when T.Y. Hilton's missing time, uh, and it just never happened. So, I mean, we've seen Aiken be a solid producer when given opportunity. I, I agree the talent isn't amazing, but I don't know. I'm kind of intrigued by him. I, I don't. I wouldn't draft him highly at all. I think maybe he's got that last-round flyer type of ability for an MFL 10, but I don't know. It's something to keep an eye on, especially if, you know, 
Moncrief gets hurt again or something like that. Um, yeah, not exciting, but I, but I think he's interesting to me at the very least. Yeah, that's that's fair. I probably hold too much optimism for Dorsett because you're right. He had every chance last year. I just I tend to hold on a little too long to first round picks, thinking the draft capital will keep like buoying them. But we've probably seen enough from Dorsett that I shouldn't really feel that way at this point. Yeah, you never know. I mean, sometimes it does take receivers that that one extra year. Like Devonte Adams was a, a good example of that. So I mean, you never know. But uh, I, I'm definitely I'd rather gamble on Aiken than on Dorsett at this point. If if we're comparing yeah. the two, yeah. Um. So yeah, recency bias touched on it, kind of teased it a little bit there. But um, this is something that came up a lot when I was working on those articles, those regression articles based on startable startable quarterback percentage um, at two QBs. And, you know, you and I and Sal had talked about it a little bit and just kind of what recency bias, you know, does from year to year. And I don't know, where do you want to get started on this? It's kind of a broad topic. <laughs> it is because and it's also weird that I was just saying Winston and Bortles are being drafted in a way that doesn't reflect the past. So um, the thing that stands out to me is that recency bias very much affects people and they don't even realize it. I think that's the thing that is most important to me is that it is subconscious for a lot of drafters because it's one thing to acknowledge it. Like I, at work and in, in real life, I do a lot of persuasive speaking. And one of the main things we're taught is about recency and primacy. So think about the the first thing and the last thing you leave someone with. Those are the most important and I don't think that most drafters recognize that. They're not thinking the last season has the biggest impact on their perception, but it does. And so finding ways to exploit that where people are overemphasizing the past year over a longer term. And last year, I wrote about it with Matt Ryan saying everyone's looking at 2015 that was bad. They're ignoring his career and that panned out better than I had expected. I'm not taking credit for him being an elite quarterback. But I, I like looking for that sort of thing where there's a one-year aberration that's overemphasized in the public mind. Well, Matt Ryan's a great example because now it looks like it's swinging the complete opposite direction, right? La last year, he was kind of treated as just this middle-of-the-road QB2, and now he's being drafted as a solid QB1. I mean, deservedly so. He just put up MVP numbers, you know, made it to the Super Bowl, had a great year. But, I mean, his ADP last year was QB16, and this year in MFL 10s, it spiked up to QB7. I mean, should we really be drafting him that high? Isn't this the epitome of recency bias? I think you're right. I, I like Ryan, and I, I have him ranked as a QB1 this year. But to have him, like his ADP in 10s is literally half a pick different from Cam Newton. I think you're completely right. It's like Matt Ryan has two very exceptional years that deviate from the norm and we are just assuming that the latter one is correct now yeah and, and i mean you can do this with a lot of players and, and there are different examples every year right i mean the year before it was bortles right bortles was that guy who just came off an insane qb1 year there were a lot of red flags a lot of warning signs and if you saw those you and kind of you know pushed aside the recency bias you would see that, you know, okay, Bortles is not going to be quite as good in 2016 as he was in 2015. So it's not just one player, it's all players. Like, And, and that's the hard part for me, you know, as a drafter and as a, a fantasy player to, to really, you know, kind of sort out is 
what recency bias does for the players who are hitting their baselines. It's like it, it, there's there's kind of a, a reverse effect there, right? Where if a guy does the same thing every year or or about the same thing every year, it's not even necessarily correct to expect them to do that. I mean, it's that's the odds-on play. That's the you know the play that you would expect most often, but it's not always going to be the case every time around. I, I, yeah, it's it's weird. Like I, I don't really know how to contextualize what I'm trying to say, but it it infiltrates everything. Yeah, it's not the analogy I'm about to make is not perfect, but it's essentially mimicking the idea that if you see four four heads flipped on coin tosses, it's wrong to assume that means that it's going to be heads again the next time. The gambler's fallacy. Right, that's there you go. There's this the intelligent way to put it. So it's kind of like that in the sense that just because one quarterback has done something consistently for several years doesn't necessarily mean he will again. But it's different in the sense that these are much larger sample sizes that are affected by many things that are not chance. And so to me, a great example of this is Ryan Tannehill, who has been the same quarterback every year of his career. I mean, the stats are just so remarkably similar year over year over year that I think the burden should be on whoever is willing to say he is going to be different this year. Now, that doesn't mean they're wrong. It just means they have the burden to show a reason that he's different. Whereas Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, guys with very limited samples, I don't think it's so clear that we can say the one year we've seen is who they are. Yeah, the younger players are always the most difficult because all we have is recent performance, right? Uh, And you really have to kind of boil it down to talent and situation and try to find some historical comparisons, maybe statistically, uh, like, I think Dak Prescott's a great example of this. Like, he's a guy who is coming off a great year in his rookie season. We have no other context. And so it's it's natural for us to assume some sort of regression. And we can look at, you know, what's happening to the Dallas offensive line and say, okay, he's probably going to get a little bit worse there. He'll probably throw more interceptions. But then how do you quantify that in terms of a ranking or in terms of where you're willing to draft that player? And that is a really difficult question to answer. Um, I mean, thankfully... There are a ton of quarterbacks to choose from. Uh, but when you look at, you know, other positions, like you look at, uh, you know, an outlier at running back or, or tight end or wide receiver and try to figure out like what to do with that, it becomes a, more of a, a gambit, right? Like Ezekiel Elliott, Dak's teammate, is coming off an RB1 season. You know, clearly he's very talented. We knew that when he was drafted, you know, as high as he was in the NFL draft. But will he repeat what he did last year? Will he do better? Um, we have no extended track record to, to try to figure that out. So there's a lot of guessing involved. And I think it really does come down to, yeah, you kind of have to take the track record and, and figure out what, what that means or what that should mean, right? What that, what that indicates, you know, that past performance indicates future potential performance. Figure out what the, you know, the odds on, uh, or, or the average case scenario is for for that you know next step or that next year in that player's career, but then you have to kind of take the player's talent, take the player's situation, and take the context of the league and kind of tear down or or add to that baseline that you have for them. Where you're saying, okay, I think Ezekiel Elliott, you know, is you know the fourth best running back in the NFL, but you know the situation in Dallas is getting a little worse. Teams are going to have more film on him, so it'll be harder for him to, you know, be quite as good. But he's a year older, you know, maybe he'll, you know, improve a little bit, like, technique-wise. All these factors have to come into it, and eventually, 
I really think you're just boiling it down to talent. It's like, which players are the best? And you can see that in measurables. You can see that in statistical performance to some extent. But 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 it's still a guessing game. It always will be. I'm as we're talking. I'm I'm trying to roll around in my mind the effect this should have, and kind of where I'm settling right now. And tell me if you think this is off. Is that the longer the track record, or the larger the sample, to put it another way, I would tend to feel more confident and advocate more strongly for my view of who this quarterback is and is going to be. I don't know that it changes where I rank them, if that makes sense, that the sample isn't going to move a player higher or lower in my ranks. I'm not moving the rookies or the the sophomores lower because we have a smaller sample, but I am less confident in where I am ranking them. So I I agree with your methodology in the the latter part of that statement. Um, The one thing that I might take issue with is that notion that, you know, the larger the sample or the longer the track record, the more you should factor in that whole sample. Like, the question comes up, you know, how far back do we look in time and assume relevance, right? Like, I think that uh, your other boy, Kirk Cousins, is a great example of this, where the past two years, he's been great. He's, you know, been a QB1 uh, in in terms of uh, total points, um, but generally, you know, before that as a starter, he wasn't quite as good. And so, like, when I did my regression analysis with SQB percent, he showed up as a guy who, because of what he did in 2014, 2013, and 2012, those numbers were not nearly as good as what he did in 2015. So it kind of doesn't, like, what matters more? The most recent performance or, you know, the, the... set of data from before that that's larger and i don't know if there's a right answer yeah i i hear your point and i do think there's value in looking at similarities and differences in the situation that plays into it too not just the 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 age of the the portion of the sample you're looking at and so things like to me cousins when you talk about his last two years the similarity is those are the two years he came into the year as the starter with the with a full offseason behind him and the confidence that he is the starter. The sample that came before that was not taking reps as a starter until midway through the season. I believe it was more than halfway through the season. And so finding reasons to see a difference between part portions of the sample, and that's not always easy to do, and sometimes we can buy into narrative a little too much in doing it but looking at differences in coordinators, differences in personnel around them, just kind of trying to pick out why things change and why they might change in the future is kind of where I would fall more than the length of the sample itself. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It, it, it's very contextual. It depends on the continuity of their situation or the, the lack thereof continuity, right? Um, and I think that it we need to calibrate differently depending upon the position. You know, like a, a quarterback is going to like the the way I care about a, a quarterback's track record or sample size is a lot different than the way I care about a running backs. Um, and a lot of that has to do with, you know, the way that, you know, running backs age versus the way that quarterbacks age. Um, but it also has to do with, you know, how, you know, running backs can be so scheme dependent or offense dependent, at least, or offensive, you know, talent dependent. Whereas a quarterback, you know, if he's good. They can they can make 
lemonade out of things that aren't lemons sometimes, you know, like, uh, we, I think that we saw, we see Tyrod Taylor do that a lot over the past two years. And he's a guy who, like Cousins, has now two great years in a row, or great for fantasy purposes, um, with, with the thing that those two years having in common being that those were the two years he was the, the dedicated starter. Um, whereas before that, he was, you know, not really the, the full-time guy. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, um, it's tricky. Are, are there, are, how would, how do you approach it from position to position? Does it, does it make a difference to you? To, to be fully honest, I, I rely at the other position a lot more on others than I do my own analysis. Um, as an example, I created rankings and budgets, et cetera, for this, the, the kitchen sink dynasty auction that we were talking about earlier. Uh-huh. And for each of the positions, I used a number of different things, a couple of different sites rankings, a couple of different ADP sources, and then my own rankings. And at quarterback, I weighted it so that my rankings got a much higher, a higher role or a, a greater role in the average. Uh, that's the wrong way to phrase it, but I relied more on my own rankings. Whereas at the other positions, there was a lot greater importance on the rankings of others and on ADP because I just don't feel as confident in my analysis. So I think a lot of that comes from the fact that I don't study the positions as a whole, like not the specific players, but kind of the way the positions shake out and which which characteristics are important and things like that that I do at, at the larger scale for quarterback. And so I'd be much more curious in kind of how you, if you see any larger trends positionally, things that we can kind of key in on, because I really don't know the answer to that. Yeah, it's a it's a good question. And, you know, I don't dive too much into, or, or I haven't dove too much into, you know, the stats for running backs and wide receivers to this point in the offseason. And that's part of why I guess I'm kind of throwing my hands up and saying, like, I don't know, but... um yeah, it's it's very interesting. I mean, maybe maybe it does make sense just to kind of focus on the quarterback position because that's where you and I have you know spent most of our focus since the end of the year. If we look at the guys who kind of had are coming off a bad year, you know, Cam Newton, Russell Wilson, Eli Manning, those guys are already seeing a correction in their ADP. Cam Newton fell from QB one to QB six as we talked about earlier. Wilson has fallen from QB three down to QB five this year, which is interesting, right? Like he didn't fall quite as much as Cam, despite the fact that he was probably equally disappointing. Um, and Manning is is a, is a big drop, QB ten last year to QB sixteen in tens right now, and, and that one makes a lot of sense according to recency bias based upon how bad he was. Where do you expect these types of players to be? Do you feel like they're more fairly valued now, or do you expect them to? you know, land closer to the opinion we have had of them leading into 2016. Yeah, those are really good examples. Cam and Russell Wilson had very similar years last year, very close. I mean, if you just blindly look at their fantasy numbers, it, you wouldn't know which one was which. And yet, like you said, one is falling a lot more than the other. And it's interesting because Russell has really done the same thing two years in a row now, right? Remember he had the kind of really bad start to the season and really hot finish. And so it's kind of been two years where he's been shaky as a fantasy asset and has really sunk teams. Cam is the opposite. We have one really stellar season and one really bad season. It's basically the the inverse of Matt Ryan's last two years. And so to me, it, it almost makes me wonder if we should be giving cam more credit and ranking him a little more highly because we've seen him have an elite year 
in the last couple of seasons if we think recency is important, whereas with Wilson, he's kind of struggled at times the last two years. He's still a fine quarterback, but there's been more struggle consistently. Yeah, I'm of the opinion that Cam is being undervalued at this point, even at QB6. Like, I think he probably still deserves to be drafted over Drew Brees just for upside reasons. Um, I get into that in the the regression piece on the site. But even though he wasn't nearly as good, I think he was QB14 in points per game, he still finished, you know, 12 out of his 15 games as a a startable quarterback, you know, in the top 20. Uh, Only one bust week. Uh, average QB finish of 14.7, which isn't great, right? But again, it's not like he killed you. Uh, Russell Wilson, same thing. I I find it interesting the way that, you know, my own personal bias wants to believe more in that 2015 year he had, that QB1 season he had. Um, But if you look at, you know, his points per game numbers over the past, you know, five years, I do think that 2016 is closer to the guy that he really is. You know, uh, in 2015, he scored an average of, you know, 24 points per game, which is pure friggin' insanity. Uh, in every other season since 2012, he's never topped 21 points per game. So I think it's fair to say that 2016 was a bit of an outlier uh, on the bad side, but I think it's even more fair to say that, you know, 2015, when he was awesome, is an outlier on the the high end, right? Yeah, no, I, I think that's absolutely true and why we and many others last offseason were saying, you need to think about what just happened. This was not normal. This cannot continue. I think that was pretty clear and, and remains so. But you're right. The, the truth is probably in the middle, but maybe closer to to the bad side of what we've just seen. Yeah, I think he's actually being pretty fairly valued now as the QB6. Uh, and I said I might you know, rank him ahead of Drew Brees on upside, but that's more about Drew Brees than it is about Cam Newton, I think. And, and I do have some concerns that Brees may be starting to regress uh, a little bit. Um, Brandon Cook's leaving I don't think is a, is a huge deal, but at the same time it's it doesn't make me feel better about Brees in 2017. Now, there's still a lot of offseason left. They might bring in another receiver or something, but I, I don't know. I, I think that they're, I think there's just as good a chance that Cam Newton finishes as the QB3 that he does, you know, finishes the, the QB17 again. Um, and, I, and I'd actually lean more towards the high end there just because of, you know, we, we've seen him do that before. He's been a top five quarterback, you know, in three of the past five years. So I, I'm not ready to instantly say, oh, he's, he's, you know, now he's just a low-end QB1 because, you know, I'm not there yet. Um, shoulder surgery, you know, accepted. That that could change things. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think that's probably right. He still should be viewed as a very strong quarterback, probably more so than he is right now. So so what about, like, um, some of the guys on the opposite side of the spectrum, the guys who had very good years uh, and maybe kind of promoted their stock uh, or overinflated their stock heading into 2017. We talked about Matt Ryan. That one's semi-obvious. Um, I mentioned Kirk Cousins as well. The other guy I kind of want to throw at you is Derek Carr. And he's a guy who was being drafted as the QB 12 last year. And now he's being drafted as the QB eight. They have good receivers. Um, they have a good offensive line, but their schedule in 2016 was really, really easy. I don't know if I want to, factor that in too much to his evaluation for 2017 but it's definitely in the back of my mind i'm not ready to take Derek carr as the qb8 are you no i'm not and 
I think even more than saying he's the QB8, the bigger problem I have is that it's not a close QB8. Like if MFL 10 ADP holds, he's a full 10 picks ahead of the QB9 right now. And he's much further over quarterbacks that I like pretty like he's pick 101 Kirk Cousins Ben Roethlisberger Matthew Stafford Philip Rivers they are all one to two full rounds after him that's crazy and I am nowhere near that confident like if if we were talking QB8 and QB15 all being within a few picks of each other a round of each other that's one thing but when we're saying there's a full round or two between some very good quarterbacks and Carr I'm I'm not on board with that I, I totally agree. Are, are there any other guys who you think maybe do for some sort of correction that, you know, maybe ADP isn't quite bearing out based on recency bias? In the optimistic camp, I don't I don't know. I, I do think it's worth coming back to Blake Bortles and saying we're we're doing something weird with him. And I think it's it's recency bias on his NFL performance more than it is recency bias on his fantasy stats. That's interesting. I, I think we have all gotten beaten over the head with the idea that his mechanics are broken. How ridiculous is it that he is saying now he's going to work on his mechanics? He hasn't before. Like, I think that narrative has seeped into us in our recency bias and kind of the off season recency is taking precedent over precedence over what we saw on the field last year. And that's the wrong way to put it. What we saw on the, the fantasy score line last year, we're kind of forgetting that. Yeah, no, and, and that's a really good distinction to bring up is that we're weighing two different sorts of recency bias here, right? There's the, the fantasy recency bias, which is what led to Bortles being overdrafted last season. And now we see the opposite effect with his uh, recency bias regarding his actual NFL value. And it's funny how that stuff does inform fantasy evaluations. I mean, it, it has to to some extent, but yeah, it shouldn't always be a one-to-one comparison, right? Yeah, no, it's... A lot of times it is, yeah, but not Blake Bortles is good evidence that not always do they go together. Yeah, I, I am going to come back to it again, man. There are just too many usable quarterbacks. Like, there's no need to you know go over the moon for any of them uh, based upon what they did last year, or honestly, even based upon the longer track record. Uh, ultimately, the guys who have the longer track records of excellence get drafted highly. Like that's why Aaron Rodgers is perennially a top three guy and that's why luck is up there all the time and same with breeze brady wilson and cam wilson and cam just had bad years they're still being drafted as top six guys and i think that's correct but when you get down into those middle ranks like where where you can be more optimistic or pessimistic based upon you know fluctuating samples or you know uh you know variations from season to season then yeah it's 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 a roll of the dice man like just because they did something Last year doesn't mean they're going to repeat that this year, but that doesn't necessarily imply that what they did two years ago is going to be repeated this year either. You kind of have to look at each guy with uh, a fresh perspective, look at their situation, look at um, you know the schedule once we know that, uh, and and try to figure out like okay, I know how good this guy is from a skill standpoint. Here's the situation. Where do I think he ranks relative to the other guys when I'm factoring in the same information, and. That's really challenging, and we're going to be wrong a lot, right? <laughs> yeah, we definitely will. And that the price point is so huge because of what you've shown about just how reliable the quarterback position is down so far into the the rankings. Because I just it's it's baffling. Like we're talking about MFL ten ADP. So if we look at just MFL ten scoring, Derek Carr and Blake Bortles 
were, let's see if I can find it here, less than one point per game apart in MFL 10 scoring. Less than one point per week apart, and they are 40 picks apart in ADP. Yep, doesn't make any sense. Don't draft Carr that high. I mean, it's that simple. You don't need to. Right, like, is he better? Yeah, sure, probably probably pretty safe to say he's better. But are you that sure that you want to pay that kind of premium? I'm not. No, I'm definitely not either. One other thing I want to get to in terms of recency bias, we've been talking a lot about specific players, but, you know, just drafting trends can also be subject to recency bias as well, right? Like, we see the running back versus wide receiver, uh, you know, debate in the early rounds swing back and forth every year, depending upon what happened previously. Like, in 2016, everybody was in on zero RB because that's what worked the year before. And now in drafts, we're seeing the complete opposite. We're seeing everybody swing back to taking running backs early because running backs were the top scorers in uh, 2017. Those are the guys that led to the most wins. And uh, I actually read a really good article about this recently by Ben Gretsch uh, at Yards Per Gretsch on Rotoviz, uh, kind of breaking down, you know, how we're coming to a lot of the, I think it's called the fantasy industry is drawing all the wrong conclusions about 2016. And he made a bunch of good points about, you know, how, you know, a lot of stuff pointed in the direction of wide receivers still being very valuable, but based upon the fact that running back touchdowns really spiked in 2016, you know, that alone swung the points enough to make it seem like running backs were better. Uh, but the underlying statistics, you know, usage, um, how often teams are passing, what kind of passes they're throwing, like that stuff really indicates that, you know, receivers are still where the bulkier points are going to come from especially if we see, you know, the touchdown variance change, which it's likely to do. Yeah, no, I think that really was one of the great articles of this early offseason. It, it it did a great job of at analyzing the problem and then suggesting where we should go from here. Yeah, I mean, are, are there any other trends like that from maybe last season or this season in drafts that you are, that you can kind of see through. Um, like, like for me, the, the Rob Gronkowski thing is something that happens every year. Like last year, I, I was all out on the early tight ends. Like I would not touch, you know, Eifert or, I mean, Eifert before he got hurt, uh, or Gronkowski or Jordan Reed in those early, early rounds because I really don't think the tight end is worth that much. And I think that that's a, that's an annual thing. That's not changing. Um, even though those players are good, I just don't think it's important to have an elite tight end on your team if you're trying to win. With that said, we're, we're starting to see that swing back now where Gronkowski, instead of being a first rounder, maybe is a third rounder or a fourth rounder, depending upon your draft. And at some point, if recency bias, you know, rears its ugly head too much, that stuff is going to, like, th- those rules that I have for myself are going to start to fall away and these guys are actually going to become value. So are there any other trends like that for you? Um, within drafts that that are kind of that don't make sense to you even on the tight end front i think you're right and that's seeping into the lower tight ends you think eifert and reed who have similar injury concerns to gronk it they also are being devalued versus where they should be if they're going to be healthy because we had kind of a year where eifert didn't play at the start of the season gronk was hurt for a lot of the season reed's concussion scare us and we're in a swing right now that says Tight ends are injury prone. They're probably not going to perform well. They're probably not going to play 16 games. Whereas we could easily see a couple of tight ends stay healthy all year this year, and then they'll be right back up there at the the top of your drafts for 2018. Do you buy that narrative that tight ends are injury prone? Because I kind of do. 
Yeah, I mean, I I think the types of routes they run and the types of hits they take do make do expose them to some worse. Uh, worse injury potential like just their builds forcing defenders to go low and aim at knees and ankles and things like that but also the fact that they're running more routes over the middle um, exposes them more so I think there's some truth to that but I also think they are physically built in a way that absorbs those hits better than if you were throwing wide receivers there like when the Patriots just destroy wide receivers because they throw little guys into those routes. <laughs> I think there's a difference in throwing a Gronkowski there and throwing an Edelman there. Yeah. And I think that over time, the the injuries will start to pile up. Like we've seen that with Reed. We've seen that with Gronkowski and we're starting to see it with Eifert as well. And, and I think that that, that has its own sort of recency bias, but I do think that those sorts of maladies will stack up over time. And at, at some point, a guy probably is just going to get hurt at some point during the season. Like, that was always the dig on Antonio Gates was, yes, he's elite when he plays, but he's going to be questionable every week. He's going to miss, you know, one to three games per year. And you just have to deal with that. And so then it becomes, as a drafter, a risk-reward proposition uh, when, when you're thinking about taking these guys in those early to mid-rounds. And... At some point in some draft, that's going to be correct. That's going to be a risk worth taking. Um, when you know Gronk is going in the first round, it's definitely not a risk worth taking. Where are you at on on those guys? Like, let's say Gronk is in the third round of tens. Are you taking him there, or, or what round or pick do you think it becomes worth the risk for a guy like that? Yeah, I I definitely am taking him when he's in the third round. His ADP puts him at the end of the second round, so. I draft pretty heavily off ADP just when players are falling, I will take them no matter what I think about them. But I think that's probably about right that Gronk in the third round, especially the back half of the third round. And then the, the other elite tight ends are kind of more my, my fifth round picks. If I see them in the fifth round, I'll start thinking about Kelsey Reed, Eifert Olson, and and they're not always there. I'm not going early tight end by any means. But when I when I see them slip to rounds I like, I, I'm willing to go there because I think that adequately builds in the injury risk, the discount that you were talking about, while recognizing these guys have some great upside. I mean, they could match wide re- high wide receiver one numbers if they are healthy all year. And so you're discounting them down to where lower tier wide receivers are going. Yeah, that's the hope, right? And And they do tend like the the really good guys they tend to always be a a primary red zone threat which is super appealing in in the mfl 10 format specifically um i don't think it holds up quite as quite the same in redraft but uh i mean the value is still there right yeah tight ends us i I always am fascinated by how to value that position because i i've vacillated over the years between like okay i want an elite tight end or oh no i don't care at all um i'm still kind of i'm still pretty firmly in the camp of i don't really give a shit if I have a good tight end because I think that, you know, there are enough ways to kind of shotgun spread in the draft and through waivers to find a guy who's at least usable. Um, if you're smart about, you know, allocating resources in that way. With that said, if, man, if you do find that guy who stays healthy the whole year, you know, Eifert two years ago, um, it, it is so huge for in what it does for your team, and especially in tens where if you get a, a tight end who's usable, you know, in, I don't know, 75% of the weeks or even maybe 60% of your weeks, that's a huge advantage in and of itself because most people are, are cobbling that position together with, uh, you know, a bunch of kind of sh- schmucks. Right. And, and because in tens tight end is a flexible position, you also have the benefit that 
you aren't losing something if both go off in a week, whereas at quarterback you are because they you can only start one. So does that inform your roster construction at all? We're going back to tens at this point. Um, are, are you more likely to draft three tight ends right now than three quarterbacks? Ooh, I think if I looked at my drafts, I'm actually drafting more three quarterback teams, but not by a, a large margin. I'm going pretty heavily three quarterbacks until we know the schedule. Um, and doing that, what I'm doing is is two quarterbacks I like in rounds 10 to 12, and then Jared Goff, Sam Bradford, Alex Smith, one of those guys that falls just a starter so that I get a bare minimum 10 points if my bye weeks happen to match up on the good quarterback. I mean, do you think based upon what we just touched on with the fact that, you know, tight ends are flex worthy, do you think maybe that's incorrect? Maybe you should be skewing more towards three tight ends than three quarterbacks? No, because I, I don't think that you are getting a tight end that's going to flex very often where you're drafting them. So at a quarterback, I can take the guys I just named in rounds 18 through 20. If you take a tight end in those same rounds, I don't know that you're getting startable weeks out of them. And that's a good point. I also think that the damage done to your team, if you have bye weeks lineup at quarterback is a lot greater than if your bye weeks lineup at tight end, just because of the baselines at the position. Yep, that's totally fair. I mean, quarterbacks score more than tight ends inherently, so that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I don't really have a whole lot else on recency bias. We, we kind of diverged away from it a little bit, but um, you, you got anything else you want to bring up in terms of this topic? No, I, th- I think it was a pretty good discussion, especially for the offseason. Looking at these big picture things is, is one of the things I like to do because there just really isn't time for it in the middle of the season. Yeah, I, and, I, and I do think that you know last season is going to have we're going to see some of what happened last season bear out again next year. The overall point that we need to make here is that you can't expect that for everybody. You can't expect a complete repeat of last year. And, and a lot of people draft like that. And you can do yourself a lot of favors by just taking a look at someone like Matt Ryan and saying, hmm, you know, he had a really great year in 2016, but how was he before that? And and you look at the numbers he put up and, you know, they were fine. And there were some, you know, QB1 years in there, but not overall QB1 numbers, and, and you can't lose sight of that stuff uh, as, as easy as it is, you know, when when recency bias. Like, like you said, it's it's something that most people don't even realize is happening to them, it, but but it is. It, it, it occurs. It happens to me. It happens to you. It happens to all of us. <laughs> it does, indeed. Well, with that said, uh, you should definitely come stop by uh, the site, 2QBs.com. Uh, we talked about Hornsby's MFL 10 app. You, you can't miss that if you're drafting those uh, formats right now. Um, are you working on anything for the site right now, Josh? I'm really trying to refine these redraft quarterback rankings, even though they're up on the site. I'm, I'm really digging into it and trying to break down kind of the topics we've been talking about over the last hour to a point that I feel better about the rankings I have out there. I think that there's some movement I need to have. You've pointed out I'm, I'm probably too low on Mariota. There's a few other guys that stand out. And I'm trying to work through my own subconscious biases. Why I have these guys where I have them? Yeah, I have I have to move some guys around too. I definitely came in with Kirk Cousins a little too low, mostly based upon those regression articles that I was talking about, where I looked at what he did, you know, before he became the starter, and I and I and I think I put too much emphasis on those numbers. Um, what you said in this episode was, you know, really true. That you know, since he's been the guy, he's been very good. And, and while I'm not ready to put him in my top twelve necessarily. I, I do need to move him up from QB 17, which is where I have him currently ranked. 
Um, so, uh, yeah, definitely come check out the rankings at the site. Uh, check out Hornsby Zap, a um, bunch of other good stuff. I think uh, Don Davenport had, a, had an article go up today about um, Dynasty Mentality, which was really good. Um, check out my regression pieces. They're up there. Uh, all sorts of other good stuff. I, I'm struggling to remember everything that's been going on, but uh, we're putting out new content every day, even though it's March. So deal with it. Come check it out. Um, take a break from fantasy baseball. It, it, it's it's worth it. I, I promise. The uh, the break from fantasy baseball can be permanent. You'll be fine. Oh, don't say that. Man. <laughs> fantasy baseball is great. Um, w- with that said, shameless self promotion. Uh, I have been writing some baseball stuff over at thefakebaseball.com. If you want to check out. My thoughts on a completely different sport. Um, I do love fantasy baseball, and I have my uh, my home league keeper draft on Sunday. I've, I've got a lot of work to do for that. With that said, uh, let's let's get out of here. Uh, as I said at the top of the episode, please rate and review the podcast if you can spare the five minutes it takes. If you have any questions for us, you can always hit us up on Twitter at 2QBs. Um, you can send us longer form stuff by email, 2QBs at gmail.com. Uh, we're in all the other, you know, social media spots as well. You know, Facebook, all that good stuff. So search us up, um, find what works for you to get your two QBs fix and, and we'll be there. Josh, this is, this is fun as usual. Uh, we need to do it a little bit more often. Although, like you said, it's hard to find topics in March. Yeah. No, it's, it's always good to chat. I, I enjoy when we get to do this. All right, man. Well, um, you have a good night and listeners, thank you for, for hanging out with us. We'll catch you next time. Adios. Adios.